0: Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. The ongoing series, Jesus at the Center of the Church, continues today with a message titled, Lukewarm. It is anticipated that we will react to Jesus' potent challenge to the Church of Laodicea with a revitalized and effectious faith. Today's text is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Following today's episode, we'll be providing insights on a daily devotional routine to follow throughout the upcoming week. Right now, here's executive pastor, J.C. Thompson.
1: Hey, thanks for being here. We're continuing our series entitled Jesus at the Center of the Church, and we are going over the last letter that Jesus is presenting to the seven churches in Revelation. Now, this letter is probably the one that you might be the most familiar with because of the stark picture presented in this particular passage. It comes from that Uh, verse 15 and 16, which just says this, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's a pretty graphic picture that Jesus gives to the church of Laodicea. This is probably not a passage that you've read to your kids out of their children's Bible, The idea that Jesus' opinion of anyone's faith would want to make him spit out of his mouth is not something we really talk about a lot. In fact, some, some of you in this room may not even think he looks at your faith and is even concerned about it. But he most certainly is. But this is not the only response that Jesus has to people's faith in the scriptures. This particular response to the church at Laodicea is one that is a negative response, but he also has a very positive response. You can see this in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. Check this out. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if they say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Jesus was amazed, shocked, surprised by this man's faith. And this wasn't a Jew, this wasn't a churchgoer, this was a Roman centurion soldier who shocked Jesus with his belief that just by saying a word, Jesus could heal his paralyzed servant. And as I thought about our passage for today and I reflected on Jesus being disgusted by the church's faith in Laodicea but amazed by this Roman centurion's faith, the question that I asked was this, what's the difference between these two types of faith? What is it about a faith that makes Jesus want to vomit, throw up, and one that amazes him so much that he tells his buddies, I've never seen faith like this in Israel. Now Brian said this phrase last week and I wanna make sure that you hear it again because I'm struck by it. I'm struck by the power behind it and I'm also struck by just this picture of what we want Brookwood to be. We want you and our church to have a faith that captures the attention of heaven. We want to have a faith that Jesus is talking about with his Father in heaven. We want to have a faith where angels are nudging each other, going, We haven't seen faith like this in all of Simpsonville. That's the type of faith that we want to foster here at our church. So, how do we come by that faith? And more particular to our text today, how do we avoid a faith that makes Jesus sick? In order to do that, we'll have to look at how. Jesus addressed the church in Laodicea and see some things that we can apply to our lives today. First, it's super important for us to note that Jesus has nothing to commend, nothing to brag on, nothing to praise about the church of Laodicea. In fact, I almost made this a part of your outline to say Jesus commends nothing uh, because sometimes you just skip over that and you miss it and then you just wanna get to the next thing. Well, what did Jesus actually say? But I think it's so crucial for our understanding to know that Jesus is encouraging always. He's, he's never not an encouraging person to be around, but he can't find anything about this church to brag on. You know, Jesus is described in the Gospels as someone who is gentle and lowly in heart, and yet he can find nothing positive to say about this church. See, his gentleness is not opposed to his truthfulness. Culture might want to teach you that Jesus is one or the other. He's only gentle or he's only truthful and thus wanting to disciple you in a way to treat people in a particular fashion. But I am telling you that Jesus is always fully and completely gentle and always fully and completely truthful, always. And so when he finds nothing positive to say, there's truly nothing positive there. So what does he do? He confronts the church of Laodicea. So your first fill-in in in your outline just says this, he confronts complacency, he confronts complacency. Now what about Laodicea? Well, if you check out this map that I've got on the screen, you'll see that Laodicea would have been the last city on the Roman road. Uh, It is situated between Hierapolis and Colossae, uh, two cities in Rome. Laodicea was a well-to-do city. In fact, they had a tremendous amount of things going on economically in their industry and even in their research and development for uh, medicine. But the one thing that Laodicea could not produce was water. And so they had to create these aqueducts that would pipe in water from both Hierapolis and Colossae. You can see a rendering, uh, a picture of those ancient aqueducts. And so they couldn't create water. So Hierapolis was known for their hot springs north of Laodicea. And so they would pipe in hot water into the city. And Colossae, which was situated on a mountain, had fresh water, fresh cold water from a mountain spring. And so they were getting water piped in from both places. But the problem was is that when it got to the city, it was filled with minerals from the aqueduct and it was also lukewarm. So the picture that Jesus gives of the faith of the Laodiceans is the same water that they would have had regular experiences with. Laodiceans, that Jesus points out three things that they were known for in this particular passage. First, they had a thriving banking industry. They had created their own currency and would have negotiated all kinds of trades and business deals based on that. So it wasn't just that they had currency to dish out. They were actually brokering many financial deals for Rome. They were well known for this. They were also known for a black wool that was unique and different. Uh, And so they would have created clothing that other places could not have produced because of this black wool. And then last, they had a thriving medical school that had created this eye ointment that would heal most vision problems, and they exported it throughout the cities of Rome. So Laodicea was doing very well. In addition to these economic things that they did, they also had a lot of wealthy people in the city that loved entertainment. So few of the wealthy leaders in town actually built Uh, several amphitheaters, places where they could host uh, entertaining uh, things. They were known for the parties that they threw, not just the wealthy people, but everyone in the city of Laodicea. It was an economic hub. It was also known as a center of pleasure and entertainment. And the letter that they received from Jesus was the most critical letter of all of the letters to the seven churches. Oftentimes this passage is interpreted in a couple of different ways. First, that Jesus would rather you be all in, passionately, emotionally, thriving in your faith, or he would rather you have no faith at all, just don't sit on the fence. That is one interpretation of this particular passage. The second way of interpreting this is that Jesus is speaking directly to the church about how ineffective their faith is. Now, I think there's evidence for both of these interpretations, but I lean very, very strongly on the latter interpretation. Why? Let me give you my reasons why. One, I cannot imagine Jesus being more excited about you having zero faith and being opposed to him than being on the fence. Can you see where that probably didn't make a lot of sense, that Jesus would rather you be lost than mediocre in your faith, okay? So that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. In addition to that, this was a letter to the church. It wasn't necessarily a letter to the city. And so the people that he's writing this letter to should have been people that were exercising their faith, at least professed to have faith. So I lean to the fact that Jesus is not saying that he would rather you be lost than be mediocre in your faith. That instead, Jesus is saying the Laodiceans Their faith is useless. They're not utilizing their faith. They're not influencing anyone because of their faith. Their faith is not changing anything. It is just ineffective. It doesn't move the needle for the city. It doesn't move the needle for the people inside the church. It just doesn't do anything. See, I think that Jesus is using the illustration of the waters from the two neighboring cities to drive his point home with the Laodiceans. The hot water from Hierapolis would have been water that would have been used in medicine. If you could think of going to a sauna or a spa and having hot water being utilized to release tension in your muscles. That's what Hierapolis was known for. Their hot springs and hot water. And so there was a use. There was a benefit that it released tension and stress and can soothe hurting muscles. Colossae had the type of water that you would pay eight bucks for a bottle at the gas station. It was fresh and from a mountain. You know, I see these gas stations with like glacier water. I'm like, is there really somebody out there chopping glaciers up and like depositing <laughs> the water into a bottle? I have no idea. But this, this was the expensive, pure drinking water that when you drank it, you could go, oh, this must be from a mountain. It felt fresh. It felt good. It soothed your body. And yet Laodicea's water was nasty. It was gross. So what is Jesus illustrating? I think he's illustrating that the Laodiceans had grown complacent and that their faith was utterly useless. It was of no benefit to anyone around them. In the Old Testament, God gave a picture through the prophet Isaiah of a similar type of useless faith. In fact, the picture that God paints for Isaiah is that God himself has planted a vineyard. He's tilled the ground. He selected the best vines of all the vines available. He has been loving the soil, planting these vines, expecting a huge harvest of grapes from these vines that he has been caring for. And yet here's what Isaiah chapter five, verse four says. It says, what more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected sweet grapes... Why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? God goes on to say in that passage in Isaiah that He will not let those vines, He will let those vines get destroyed by wild animals. He would decide to drop zero rain on those vines as to revive them, and He will let them become overgrown, rotting, and useless. It's dangerous for us to allow our faith to grow complacent and useless. I think another aspect of this illustration that Jesus gives to the Laodiceans is that they were known for the parties that they would throw. In fact, they would serve two types of drinks at these parties. One, they would add to wine hot water so as to bring out some of the particular qualities of these wines. And so they would use this hot water to raise the temperature, possibly open up some of the flavor profile, and that would be something they would serve to their guests. They also would serve particular drinks with snow so as to cool them down and highlight certain things. So if you could imagine, it would have been a normal occurrence for a Laodicean party to include a tasting of both a hot drink and a cold drink. So Jesus is playing on this banquet type imagery that Laodiceans would have been very familiar about. And he might be directly challenging the fact that they spend so much time on these parties as well. And he says, I know you love serving hot drinks and cold drinks, but what you really are serving to me is a lukewarm drink. Now, lukewarm water did have a purpose, and it still has a purpose. What is that purpose? To make you sick. It was actually cause. They would utilize this lukewarm drinking water to induce vomiting if they thought that there was some internal disease that you were struggling with. One of the strategies to get that disease out of you was to get you to throw it up. So they would utilize the water from Laodicea to try and help you get that thing out of you. See, Jesus is explaining to this church that faith that is not being utilized or developed grows useless. And that type of faith is disgusting to Jesus we must exercise our faith and a faith that is exercised is a faith that grows spending time with God in prayer surrounding yourselves with people who are growing in their faith and utilizing our gifts both our finances and our talents and our time all of these things not just some of these things should be utilized in service to the church. And by doing all of these activities, it is a way to grow and develop our faith. And when we don't participate in those activities, we're not setting ourselves up for a faith that grows. While complacency can kill your faith, courage cultivates your faith. While complacency can kill your faith, courage cultivates your faith. What do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. Oftentimes, if you guys know, we've had several new people coming to the church, and when they come to faith in Christ, they come with this bold ask to ask God, forgive me of my sins. Now, we know, being followers of Christ, that God is generous and able to forgive us of our sins, and when we experience that forgiveness, we want to align ourselves with His way of life. But every so often as you come upon the scriptures, maybe in a group setting or in your own time, you get to a passage of scripture that you're like, Jesus asked me to do what? What is he asking me to do? And if you're not a follower of Christ and you are all in, Jesus changed your life and you are ready to do what he says and what he asks, these opportunities to change can become frightening. Because you've been discipled, trained in a particular way that this is how life works. And so when the God of this universe explains to you a way that the world works that you didn't anticipate, it can be scary. Such as, God can do more with your 10% than you can do with your 100%. That's what the scriptures communicate. Well, that's bad earthly math. Fair? Any accountants in here? If you try to do your, if you try to balance your sheets and suddenly you've got 90% and you're trying to explain to shareholders that no, 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 90% way more than 100%. They would be like, uh, no. And also you're fired. Okay. Like this is not good. This is not good math. And yet at the same time, I will tell you, I believe wholeheartedly what the scriptures say. God doesn't need your money, but you need to give your money. Why? Because it's directly opposed to you developing a heart that is selfish. And when you give, it is a way to say, God, I trust you with my finances. And more than that, it's not about me and what I want. It's an exercise. It's an exercise intended to grow your faith. But if you've not been discipled in that way, that can be a scary, difficult step to take. And so it takes courage. It takes courage to grow your faith. It takes courage to confess your sin to a group of kind of acquaintances. It takes courage to say, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what's going on in my life. It takes courage to tell your kids that you're going to church today. Sundays are early. We're going to go to church today. Oh, Dan. Or if they're a middle schooler, they just look at you. <laughs> they express no emotion. I'm just kidding, middle schoolers. Uh, I have one now, so I'm, I'm enjoying this stage. The question that you need to reflect on is this. Is your faith useful to God? Is your faith useful to God? I'm not talking about Brookwood Church. I'm talking about you. Is your faith benefiting God's kingdom? Now this afternoon we'll have a membership class. The goal of that membership class is to get you connected, not not grow our membership role. It's really to get you connected and participating in what are the spiritual practices that we believe Christians should align themselves with. And so we're going to sit down, hear your story, hear what's going on, and try to get you connected in an area that will help you develop your faith. That's the goal. That's the win for us. And so if that's you, if you're thinking about that, I encourage you, come to our membership class today. Do not allow your faith to grow complacent like the Laodiceans did. That's not the only thing that Jesus confronts. He also confronts self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency, Verse 17 says this, you say I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness an ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. See, it wasn't just that the Laodiceans' faith was useless. It was also that if you would have asked the Laodiceans about their faith, they would have told you it was great. They got everything they need. They don't need anything, even anything from God. In fact, in AD 60, the city of Laodicea was majorly destroyed by an earthquake. And because of its influence, its economic power, the city of Rome reached out to Laodicea and says, "Hey, we want to help you rebuild. We're going to send some funds and some people to you." And Laodicea said, "Nah, we're good. We got this." And you know what? They did. They utilized their resources. They pulled their stuff together. They utilized their own people. And guess what they did? They completely rebuilt the city of Laodicea. And in our culture, American culture, we would look at the city of Laodicea and we would go, way to go. Great job. Man, look at how they pulled their resources together and pulled off this big, amazing project. They really crushed it. Way to go. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus actually says, you're not doing great. In fact, you do think you've got it all together. You do think you've got everything it takes. You do think that you can do this on your own. You know, it's one of the challenging things in discipling your children because we all want our children to be, quote, unquote, self-sufficient. We want them to be responsible. We want them to take action on the things that are in front of them. But I think sometimes we miss the fact that we are completely reliant on God doing anything. And I know these are shocking things to say, but everything we have is a gift from God. And yes, we work and we expend effort and energy and resources to become better stewards of the things that God gives to us. That's true. And I'm not, I'm not at all pointing out to you that you should not try to maximize your ability as a steward of God's resources. But oftentimes when we're raising our kids, we, we don't always lean into spiritual reliance upon God. Sometimes we want, it, we want them to figure it out with earthly solutions. But I think a critical component of our discipleship with our children is helping them understand that, look, you may do absolutely everything in your power. Everything in your power. But the fact that this earth still rotates on its axis and still is just far enough away from the sun and also at the same time just near enough to the sun and that we're not colliding with asteroids while God is maintaining this planet, you can do as much as you can. But if God's not taking care of any of this, none of that matters. It's a critical thing we can miss in our discipleship with our children because it can go like that in a flash and you could have done everything in your power and it can be gone. Some of you have experienced that, economic downturn, health crisis, loss of a loved one. You do everything you can, and yet it still affects you. We've got to be honest with our children in their discipleship. You can do everything right, kids, and it may not work out like you think it should. We trust God, we trust God, we trust God. We go to him for wisdom. He promises us that if we go to him with wisdom and we ask for it, he'll give it to us. If we seek him, we'll find him. See, Jesus took the very thing that the Laodiceans would have put on the opening, welcome to Laodicea billboard. Check out our black wool. Check out our banking. Check out our eye ointment. You can get it in every store in Rome. And he says, you've got nothing. Oh, you think you can bank? You ain't got no idea what banking is. You need to come buy gold from me, Jesus says. Oh, you think your black wool's cool? Actually, you're naked. You have no idea that you can feel shame because of your sin. You need to get forgiveness of sin from Jesus Christ. You need to receive that from Him, and then you'll be clothed with white cloth. Not only that, but you think you can see? Because of your eye ointment, guess what? You're blind. The only way you can see is if you come to me and get sight from me. Spiritual sight is what Jesus says. He took the very thing that the Laodiceans would have been most proud of and said, you don't have any of that. You're missing that you live in a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly one. Jesus shares this discipline because he loves the Laodiceans In fact, if you're not being disciplined by the Lord, that should be the scariest place to be. I'm going to say that again. If you're not being disciplined by the Lord, that is a much, much scarier place to be if God has let you be with your sin. See, Jesus will do the same with us. He will discipline us because he loves us. Now listen to this, when Brian and I were getting to know each other at first, we, we sat down to meet and talk, and I don't know him, and he came from Texas. And Texas is big, that's all I know. And so we sat down and he's explaining, here's what God's called me to do, God's really called me to build people up, encourage people. He's really called me, and he said, he said this phrase, he said, to pour liquid fire on people, get their faith ignited and get rolling. And I left that meeting and I thought to myself, who in the world needs encouragement like that? I mean, if you're in need of somebody to pour liquid fire on you, maybe your wood is wet. You're broken. What's going on with you? That's what I'm thinking to myself. And you know what? I realized, you know who needed encouragement? You know who needed liquid fire? I did. I needed to be encouraged. I needed to be encouraged. Built up. I needed somebody to say, hey, here's, remember what we're doing. Remember what we're trying to achieve here. We're trying to get, build God's church, God's way. We're trying to encourage and build up people. And let me tell you something. Not only receiving encouragement from Brian has been a blessing to my life, but watching him encourage you as a church has been a blessing to my life. It's been amazing. It has been a blessing to hear him tell you how proud he is of you to show you both with pictures and video and with his words all the amazing things that our church is accomplishing for the kingdom of God but don't become prideful don't allow self-sufficiency to rule your heart see here's the deal a self-sufficient heart produces selfishness but dependency on God produces compassion I'm going to say that to you again Self-sufficiency produces selfishness. But dependency on God produces compassion. I want to give you an example of this. Anybody watch football out there? Just like six of you, come on. Anybody watch football out there? Okay, okay. I've been talking to Brian about his college football takes, okay? We're working on him. okay? But I want you to know this. There's this uh, place on the football field called a medical tent. Y'all seen that before? My youngest calls it the hurt tent, which I will always call it the hurt tent from literally for the rest of my life. That's what I'm calling it, the hurt tent. When it comes to your faith, sometimes you need to go to the hurt tent. What's the purpose of the medical tent? What's the purpose of the hurt tent? It's to make a diagnosis, yeah, to check you out and to figure out can we get you back on this field today or do we have to set up a treatment plan for you to eventually get back on the field? What's the, what's the plan? The goal of the hurt tent is not for you to stay in the hurt tent as long as humanly possible. The hurt tent is a transitional place. You come to the hurt tent and you get help and you get a plan and then you take steps to get healed and then you get back on the field. Listen, life hurts sometimes. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Life hurts sometimes sometimes. And Brookwood is here to help you when life hurts. We have care volunteers down front, not just to stand here and look pretty, which many of them do, but to receive you when life is hurting, to pray with you, to bring you to the throne of God so that you can find the healer, so that you can get back on the right track. Listen, you lose a loved one, you grieve and you need to grieve and we need to grieve well but we also take steps to getting back. It's okay to be in the hurt tent. In fact, we want to encourage you to go to the hurt tent if life is hurting you. But don't stay there. Don't stay there. When life hurts and you meet God and you turn your gaze and vision to him when life is hurting you, you know what happens? God makes it so easier for you to see and experience other people's pain it makes you compassionate towards others. You ever had a life experience and God really met you there and then you hear about somebody going through it and you feel as if God has positioned you strategically to help them? Anybody ever felt that way? That's what he does. But when we become self-sufficient and we feel like I don't need to go to the hurt tent, but people see us limping around the football field like we're a crazy person. That makes us selfish. Oh, that person should be able to handle this. Oh, that person, economic downturn, of course they should be fine. Life hits us and it hurts. And we need to be a church that receives the hurting. But thank God, Jesus heals, and we can get rolling again. Praise the Lord. When you reach out to God for everything, you begin to realize just how little effect you actually have on this world. You realize God does everything. He literally is moving stuff right now. The proverb says, a king heart is like a river in his hands. He'll turn it whichever way he wants to. God's in control of everything. And we would do well to remember that he's in control. See, when we come to God when we're hurting, it helps us not to look down on others. In fact, we start to look up to God on behalf of others when they hurt. Can I encourage you for a moment? This church, Brookwood, is not useless in its faith. But some of you in this room might be riding on the coattails of the faithful. And it's time that you exercise and grow your own faith so that you can contribute to what this church is doing, not just in these walls, outside these walls, and in our community and in our world. You know, we had several hundred folks here with special needs on Friday. And when they get out on the dance floor, they dance. Now, some of you, you know, with your church background, dancing may not be your thing, okay? But I like to get down. And it was good for my faith to see these special needs is they're not only dancing and having a good time, but they are expressing to me how God has moved in their life. It's good for you to grow and exercise your faith. And it's good for others when you do so as well. So yeah, you might look at yourself and think just like the Laodiceans, look, I'm successful. The eyes of the world, everybody sees everything going on in and around me and they go, man, that guy, that lady, they've got it figured out. They are really crushing it. But Jesus says and reminds us that the world is passing away. And all the success in this world does not translate in the world to come. And if you are not relying on Jesus Christ to be the door to heaven, you're in danger. Remind yourselves of this passage in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. It's not that we think we're qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. Listen, the reality is I want this church to be a place that is rocking the gates of heaven where when angels look down at what's going on here, they're shocked and amazed by what we believe God can do in our day and time. I want to look around this place one day and realize that Greenville County always has a place for every child who's displaced and in foster care because the church has decided to obey God in caring for the widows and orphans. I want to look around this place and look at our young people and go, our young people are changing the world one high school at a time, because they're being discipled that God is alive and moving in our midst. I dream of the day when community leaders come to our door and they say, Brian and JC, Hey, we have this need. And the first thought in our mind was to go to Brookwood and say, can Brookwood do this? And I dream of the day when the upstate is changed because Brookwood continues to exercise his faith in a God who's real and active. This won't come to fruition in our midst because of our great gifts, but instead, because of our great dependence on God. Now, what do we do? Our faith is lukewarm. Are we just out of luck? Do we just have to throw in the towel? That's it? No, Jesus ends this letter with an offer, and that offer is one of communion. Communion. Now, that's an old dead person word, They used to describe the relationship that you have with God in this way, communion, the actual experience we have because of the realities of union. Union's the finished work of Christ. He did it. He offered it to you. That becomes true in your life because of Jesus. But communion is your experience of that reality. So Jesus wants to be friends with you. In fact, Martin Luther used to say it this way. Part of the reason why people's faith is dead is because they don't know how to use possessive pronouns. He is my God and my sins are forgiven and my life at church makes a difference and my worship moves my heart and the heart of those around me. And my ability to grasp and understand the scriptures motivates my heart to obey and love God through obedience Jesus says this in verse 20 to end this letter. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. This is not a picture of evangelism. Jesus is not doing what we used to do in Baptist churches, knocking on people's door, cold calling. He's knocking on your door if you're a follower of Jesus. And he's saying, I want to be closer to you. I want to come and eat dinner with you. I want to come and be your friend. Jesus desires for the church of Laodicea and our church today to have a vibrant faith that is growing Not only in their relationship with God, but in their influence, reach, and service and love to their neighbors. But Laodicea grew stale. Could have been through complacency because of some type of sin in their life, or possibly they got into the hurt tent and never got out. Some of you in this room might be in the same place today. Do you want a faith that's thriving? Do you want a faith that amazes Jesus Christ? I want to be a church that's filled with people who grab the attention of heaven by their faith. Check out this quote Now is the only time you have. Half baked efforts, occasional good resolutions are like the early cloud and the morning dew, soon gone. Unless there is a wholehearted effort to return to God and real determination to stick at it until your soul has truly been revived, all efforts will come to nothing. Then you shall know the Lord if you follow on to know him. Jesus is making this plain to you today. If your faith is ineffective, if your faith has grown lukewarm, and you are beginning to desire the things of the world more than the things of God, there's a way out and it's to open the door up to Jesus to what he has to say to you It's to repent of your sin and indifference and ask him to fill you to change you to make your faith warm again or cold again make it useful in some way Christ is offering the opportunity for you to repent today first Peter 417 says it this way for the time has come for judgment and it must begin with the world No, it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? God has not grown lax on sin. But if he's not disciplining you, your opportunity to repent may be going away. Care counselors will be at the front of the stage in the care connection room. If you're in the hurt tent today, come reach out to them. If you've got a sin that you need to confess, that's what they're here for. If you need healing, come down front and they'll ask God to heal you. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We're so thankful for you. We're thankful that as you see our hearts, you, uh, your word teaches us that you treat us like a bruised reed if we've been hurt by the world. You don't desire to break us. You don't desire to put our light out, but instead you desire to help us heal. So Lord, if anyone today is in need of healing, I pray, Lord, that they would exercise their faith as weak as it may feel to them, and they'd come down front and they would ask for healing and help in their season of life. Lord, I pray that you would grow our faith in such a way that captures the attention of heaven. Allow us to care only about your scorecard. And not the scorecard of the world it's in the name of christ we pray these things and everybody said amen y'all have a great day
0: this series jesus at the center of the church incorporates a daily devotional this crucial tool aids in fostering regular interaction with god characterized by contemplation, reading, and prayer, all rooted in the contents of the daily devotional. If you do not currently have a daily devotional book, there are multiple ways to get one, such as during the church services, picking one up from the reception desk during the week, or accessing a digital version through the new Brookwood Church mobile app. On Sunday, October 1st, we'll continue the series, Jesus at the center of the church. Prepare by reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse five. We're grateful you joined us for the Brookwood Church Sunday Message podcast today. Please leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing you on our next episode.